right, and welcome to the Moonshine Jesus Show. We are very thankful that you have chosen to join us today. We're excited about today's discussion about Spider-Man across the Spider-Verse. Uh, and I'll just tell you right off the top, there's no way we could talk about this without spoiling it and spoiling it and spoiling it again, probably even more so. You have to talk <laughs> about the ending of this movie, and there's no way not to spoil that. But you can't talk about it without spoiling it. So just know there are spoilers ahead. We also want to remind you that we're brought to you by progressivechristianity.org, a wonderful place, actually one of the best places to get all your progressive Christian needs. Um, so go check them out at progressivechristianity.org. We also encourage you to check us out at Facebook uh, and our Moonshine Jesus page, but also in all the places that you get your podcast. Please go over there and subscribe. Uh, and that way you'll be assured that you won't miss any of these wonderful and fun-filled shows. More importantly, let's welcome Caleb, my good buddy, to uh, the show. Uh, and uh, how are you doing today, sir? What are you thinking about today's show? Oh, I'm doing fantastic and uh, even better because we're finally getting to talk about a, a summer kind of a blockbuster big, movie. Right? I can't yeah, wait. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm ready to geek out about this. I'm very, very ready to geek out about it. But first, we must have some themed beverages. Mm. Um, I remember your themed beverage from the last time we did a Spider-Man, I think. Uh, I'm curious to see where you went this time. Yeah, I think last time I did the Spider-Man. You did. Like, you did that yeah. beautiful colored, like with the blue character. So, and and I don't remember what the. Yeah. I think it was a, a grenadine kind of mixed. I don't know, but it looked yeah, fantastic. Yeah. It looked amazing. Yeah, it, what it direction was, did you go on this time? It was. I I did. I went in a completely different direction this time. Okay. So I so I was thinking about Miles Morales, and yep. I was thinking about his suit, and I thought, well, I want something dark like mm -hmm. like his suit. And I thought, well, he's also, he's a teenager. And what would a, right. a teenager drink? I, I thought soda. Mm -hmm. And so I just, I, I have a Jack and Coke. That's what I am drinking today. Fair in enough. honor of That's... Miles Morales, a Jack and Coke. How about you? What are you drinking? Well, I, I, I went a little different too. I am having a drink called a Miles More Ales. Oh, I saw this. Yes. Yeah. So this is, yeah. I had to twist it just a little bit. Yeah. It called for a citrus flavored gin. I'm not a big fan of gin. So right. this is, this is a ale, but it also has a shot of citrus flavored vodka and then a heavy shot of lemonade in it. And they call it a miles more ales. So cheers to you, sir. Cheers. That's actually quite good. All right. Uh, we're going to have a few more sips of these delicious drinks, and uh, we'll catch you on the other side to geek out a little bit about Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Welcome back to the Moonshine Jesus Show, where today we are talking about Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. And as mm. Mark mentioned, if you're just joining in, we will spoil this for you. But you that's it. okay, because <laughs> the only way we can really get into it is by spoiling it and really talking about it. 
Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse tells a story about Miles Morales. And after reuniting with Gwen Stacy, Brooklyn's full-time friendly neighborhood Spider-Man is catapulted across the multiverse where he encounters a team of spider people charged with protecting its very existence. However, when the heroes clash on how to handle a new threat, Miles finds himself pitted against the other spiders. Can he redefine his role? We'll see. Okay, Mark, I, uh, you and I have both been pretty excited about this. We've been Crazy waiting excited. for this movie in particular, but also the summer where we get to really dive into some exciting stuff. The summer stuff exactly. that there's been a lot yes. of anticipation around. So I want to know, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, did it yep. live up to your expectations? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I, This is one of those rare movies that may like a sequel that may actually be better than the original. And the original was already incredible. That is rare when that happens. You're talking like Dark Knight kind of air yeah. where the, the, it was just that good. Uh, the animation alone tops the first movie, which I think they won uh, an Oscar for. And it was probably at that point anyway, that it was the best animated movie ever made. And this one is visually i would say now it takes the new reign of the best animated movie ever the storylines are incredible i love the way they bring it together I, I was just i was blown away on almost every level from the animation to the voice acting to the storyline to how they wove them together to the even the soundtrack and it was just incredible uh what was what was your take coming away it from it it was fantastic. Yeah. So I enjoyed every minute of this. And uh, I, I agree that uh, the animation was fantastic. And it was great to see different animation styles in different universes. And we mm -hmm. didn't get to spend a lot of time in different universes. In the last one, everyone kind of came to Miles' uh, right. Miles's yep. universe. And so getting to see the different animation styles uh, was something that was that was really incredible, especially Gwen's universe. You know, the colors that, was, that they that used. Like the watercolor. Yeah, and the water. And it was just beautiful in the way that – uh, that whenever you were doing kind of close-ups, you could see kind of uh, the just the colors behind them. It yeah. made you feel like you were reading a comic book. And so I went to go it see did. this with my seven-year-old. Oh, uh, wow. Who, and, and we read comic books together, you know. And she's huh? like, Dad, it's like a comic on the screen. Oh, that's and awesome. she, she, she just loved it. Love I mean, it. She, yeah. she, she just found a, a love of the movie just because of the visuals outside of everything that was going sure. on. It was, sure. it was incredible. So I, I'm glad to hear yeah. that it lived up to your expectations as well. Yeah, for sure. Like I said, I think this is going to go down in history as one of those rare movies that followed an incredible movie and may have even been better. Usually they just kind of rest on their laurels and play into the same things and all of that. They didn't come. No, they re-upped it. They, they took the story you thought you knew and threw some twists on it and re-upped the story as well. It was so brilliantly done. And so it was also a little bit different in terms of storytelling as well. So we mm -hmm. mostly saw things from Miles' perspective last time. And this one begins with uh, Gwen's perspective in her universe by herself. Uh, yep. What did you think about that shift in storytelling style? And what do you, how do you feel about the pacing of all of that? 
I, I really loved it. And uh, I love that they started out with basically her saying, you know, let's change things up a little bit just to kind of let you know that, that they're, even they are recognizing that this is different, but this is going to be good and this is why we're going to do it. Um, I, I thought it, it played very well into how they had to do cutting back and forth from different storylines. We had so many uh, Spider-Men involved in this and it was, we really get more into the multiverse as you pointed out, not just know that it exists, but now we're going into it and finding it out. And I thought it was important to mix things up and very quickly off the bat, let us know that we're gonna be jumping from universes here back and forth. Um, and I just love that they brought her on, started her in a band that she, uh, basically breaks the band up, and then at the end of the show, she's basically, let's get the band, the oh, Spider-Man yeah. band, let's get the band back together. I love that kind of <laughs> book ending that they did there. That uh -huh. was fun. Oh, that was so much great. I, I love it. What do you think about starting with her? Because it was really, for the first time, hers and Miles' story, rather than just yeah. Miles or just, yeah. I loved it, and uh, I, I found myself uh, sitting there, uh, becoming ever more invested in Gwen's character and her oh, yeah. story. And so I thought, this is really cool that in a, a cartoon, basically, we, we are getting some really significant character development and a lot better than we see in uh, a lot of live action movies Absolutely. most of the time. And so uh, getting getting able to get to know some of the other spider people characters yeah. i think was was really fantastic i i also think that that helped us to more fully realize uh, how the the multiverse operates the spider verse operates mm -hmm. um which um got me thinking too you know we we had another recent spider man uh movie where spider man went throughout the multiverse the live action right. uh, you know a multiverse with tom holland so i'm curious who did it better mark did live action spider-man uh, do it better or did the animated spider-man do it better it, it's definitely the animated spider-man i mean live action just kind of gave the tip of a hat to look there's this multiverse that that exists and that's where we're all coming together. And there was kind of a little beautiful connection between the two shows in that there's this moment where they're on the top of the, the Statue of Liberty in the live action one, and they start realizing that the death of someone significant in their life was kind of a, a pivotal moment, what this show calls a canon event. The, right. You actually have them kind of discover it without naming it as a canon event, and that they had some commonalities around that happening. And then in this show, we get them actually talking about it and naming it as a canon event and pointing back to the moment that they, the, all three of them were talking about. It. So there was a kind of beautiful overlap. But this show definitely digs deep into the multi-universe and helps us understand how they're connected and how these canon events are pivotal moments across the Spider-Verse. Um, and they delve into it so much more deeply and give us so much more explanation of it that it feels more fleshed out and like you can really uh grab hold of it a lot more than the kind of tip of the hat we had in the, in the live version at least that was my take did you feel the same or did you kind of have I, a different no I, I i think it's indisputable this this is a better movie all oh, around yeah. and and the other better. one was a good movie it was a fantastic movie so that's yeah. what i was sitting there thinking is I, I was recalling you know a year ago when we were sitting here talking about uh no, way home. no way home and how yeah. how great it was and how cool it was to see all three live action spider-man together and that mm -hmm. was cool and i was sitting there thinking 
and this is even better. Even um, better. And yeah. and it, it was it was great to to see kind of the the different Spider People developed in a way that didn't that also didn't quite feel as much like fan service that it mm-hmm. was, it was, it was really well developed. And, uh, and uh, yeah, I, I loved it. So yeah. Mark, you mentioned the, the Canon events and yes. that's something that, that becomes very significant. And we, we find out that if, if a Canon event is broken and particularly if we're thinking about uh, an event that, that, like the death of someone that Spider-Man is close to, if that doesn't happen, then not only does that impact his world and universe, but also the whole Spider-Verse. And yet at the end of the show, this is what you were alluding to, I think a a few moments ago, at the end of the show, uh, Miles is determined to go back to his universe and break a canon event, despite warnings about the possible implications. Mark, do you think Miles is going to be able to come back and break canon? And uh, do you think that's going to, if, if he does, is that going to have any implications to the Spider-Verse? Uh, well, you've done it yet again. <laughs> you've stolen, <laughs> you, you essentially stolen one of, of my make me look stupid questions, but that's fine. Yes! Uh, yes! <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. I've still got one tucked away that I don't think there's any way you're going to even come close to thinking about. I'm just going to come way, up with absurd stuff. I'm that, just going to start throwing stuff out there. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> so, yeah, I don't think there's any doubt that he's going to go and break canon. And, not, and, and, and I've got to, uh, when we get to our next segment, I've got some stuff yeah. that we might end up talking about this too. I don't think there's any doubt that he might break canon. As a matter of fact, I think it's part of why Gwen ended up deciding she didn't want to be part of the Spidey team anymore, that she started realizing that some of the stuff that Miguel O'Hara, Spider-Man 2099, uh, was saying might not quite be right. Um, and so I, I think she recognized that, you know, one of the, uh, of Miguel O'Hara's um, points about him was that he was an aberration, that he shouldn't have ever happened, that he's not really essentially a Spider-Man which I think she started figuring out, well, if he's not really a Spider-Man, and I think he started figuring out as well, Miles, if I'm not really a Spider-Man, then those rules don't apply to me. I can do this because I'm not supposed to be here anyway. So I feel like they both started recognizing that as part of why she distanced herself, part of why he he ends up realizing he can go back and do this. And I think it also has one more implication. I think we're going, that Miguel O'Hara is not the good guy that we think he is. I think his protection of canon is also a writer's thumbing their noses at the purists about Spider-Man who hate everything that's not canon. And that ultimately this guy protecting canon is going to be revealed to not be as good of a guy as we think. I even think that his backstory that he offers felt a little fishy. So that's, that's my take on it. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah, I think he's absolutely going to go and break canon. I think, I I agree. I don't think the Spider-Verse is going to fall apart. Although I think that's what most of the next movie is going to explore. Absolutely. Is is this and and whether or not the Spider-Verse is going to stay contained or not. And and as you know, Mark, I try to stay all the way away from spoilers until I've seen something. And so I didn't even know that, that there was going to be like a part two. I get my ticket stub and it says, across the universe, part one and i'm like what (laughs) you you read closer than mine because mine was just on my phone and i didn't read the stuff and i'm with you i didn't know that it was part one either 
Yeah. Okay, and so it wasn't just me. It like, wasn't at all. Being a matter of fact, a matter of fact, I'm <laughs> glad that we have the explicit rating on our show on on, on all the places it goes because <laughs> the guy sitting next to me, when when we saw Miles in peril, and then it says yeah. to be continued. To be continued. The dude went, "What the fuck?" <laughs> yeah. And then he immediately started applauding. Like it was that moment of yeah. like. You didn't just do that to us. Oh my God, that was incredible. I was, you know, I loved it anyway. So it was, yeah. I okay. With you. So that's that's hilarious because my theater uh, burst out in applause too at the end uh, at the end of the movie, which I think speaks to across the country. Uh, yeah. Everyone's applauding. Speaks to yeah. how good of a movie it is. But mm -hmm. yeah, okay. So I'm glad that I I wasn't. It wasn't just me being oblivious because it was also one of those things where you like when you're watching an episode of a TV show and you're like. They're not going to be able to wrap this up in the five minutes we have left. Right. We're, yeah, we're looking no... at a two-parter. Here, here it is. Okay, so you also mentioned Miguel O'Hara. And last question, because I know we've got we can't geek out forever. But, <laughs> I wish we could. <laughs> and his his ill intent. So in the comics, Miguel O'Hara is set in the future in in the year 2099. Mm -hmm. Right. So so do you think that? Miguel O'Hara is actually from the future uh, or just from, does that play into his evil uh, connected right. web uh, that he's spinning here? Or is it something? I, I think, I think that, his, yeah, I think he could be from the future. I think that his backstory is very different from what we think. As a matter of fact, I don't think he's an actual Spider-Man. Uh, we saw him taking these shots, which I feel like is probably what was giving his spider powers. I think he is a person whose life was deeply destroyed when a Spider-Man broke canon and that he decided to put it on himself that he was going to go back and uh, get create the society that would stop anyone from breaking canon and, and that he's doing it for all the wrong purposes and maybe actually hurting various Spider-Verses from doing it. I don't know. Is that is that am I? I think that I think that is so it? good. I think that is so good that if that's not what they wrote, that's what they should have written. <laughs> that's what they should. Have written. <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. I think that I think that is really good. Also, I, I just got to say how how cool and meta is it that we're talking about canon uh, in in the film itself. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, that's just super cool for uh, nerds it, like us, Mark. It really is. And I, and I really do think that they wrote this character and twisted who he really was just enough to kind of poke fun at the geeks who are such canon purists and that right. this guy who's protecting canon is going to turn out to be sort of a bad guy, intentionally or unintentionally. I think, that, I think that's another meta level that may have been going on here. Uh, I love it. Okay. Hey, as much as I would love to geek out about this, because I would geek out all day about mm -hmm. Spider-Man and Marvel stuff, Absolutely. we got to also talk about theology and politics. So how about this? Why don't we take a quick break, and then we'll pivot and talk about the theopolitico aspects of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. <laughs> Hello and welcome.
Welcome back to the Moonshine Jesus Show. I'm going to do what I did last show, and before we move into the theopolitical, I, there's one thing we didn't cover that I really need us to talk about. There okay. was this fantastic cameo from Danny Glover. Yes. <laughs> where he, he was uh, showing up as the prowler from some Spider-Verse. Uh -huh. But yeah. the reason why I was so just taken by that happening Miles Morales is only around because of Danny Glover. Right? Yes. Is when he wore the Spider-Man uh, uh, PJs in Community, which caused the uh, the the writer uh, Michael Bendis to decide that there needs to be a Black Spider-Man, and then in turn, Danny Glover was the first to voice the animated Miles. So it was just a beautiful cameo, and I just felt like that needed to be mentioned. I mean, were you just like? There was audible gasps yes. from the geeks in the theater when yes. that happened. Yes. You could hear yeah. an intake of. <gasps> yes, I, yeah. I was I was in a theater on a Sunday afternoon matinee filled yeah. with kids. So the only one gasping was me. But yes, <laughs> <Fair enough>. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was fantastic. Uh, and uh, I just I, in fact, right before the show, uh, because, you know, the social media robots that live in my pocket heard me talking about Spider-Man. I started getting a bunch of stuff with Danny Glover's connection to Spider-Man. Oh, yeah. All these articles of no doubt coming up. Yes, yeah, so I was literally talking about that as the show was beginning. Absolutely, I hear you. <laughs> okay, well, let's let's move into the Theopolitico. We are, uh, that's what we're committed to this segment. Okay. And we've already talked about Miguel O'Hara, Spider-Man 2099. Yeah. And I want to start with him, but I'm going to pivot from, from talking too much about him right now. Um, he essentially tells everyone that there are tragic events that have to happen in order to create spider people that will keep their universe from you know falling apart. What's the thing with so many superhero stories being about heroes having to come from some sort of tragedy? And is that a good thing or a bad thing to make it such a central storyline and telling of superhero stories? Yeah, and you're you're right that almost every superhero that we can think of is somebody who has lost someone in some way. And I mean, right. that's one of the fun things about this. I think in some ways it's poking fun at that as well. And uh, um, yeah, I I think I I think it it can be dangerous to say, hey, you know. Um, unresolved trauma is uh, is something that causes you to to be able to go out and, and do these these great things and uh, I no I think that's a dangerous way for us to think yeah. about trauma as as a society mm -hmm. and um, I think the the obsession with it is trying to make it somehow relatable to people who are who have kind of these things in their lives that yeah. know, help to hold them back. But uh, but no, I I I think that's that's kind of uh, a, a dangerous way to to think about it. What do you what yeah. do you think? I think it's both good and bad. I mean, I, yeah. I think it's I think it's mostly bad. I think it's mostly bad because it does sort of play into this very harmful theology of redemptive suffering. Like that mm -hmm. somehow their suffering created something wonderful. And, you know, yeah. we've said it before on this show, suffering yeah. is suffering and it sucks and there's nothing good about it. And every now and then outside of it, after it, you can figure out how to use it and then have something good happen. But the moment itself is never good. It is never redemptive on its own. But I do like the kind of thing, the hopeful note of it, of that um, 
endings aren't always horrible endings that you can live out of terrible moments and that they, they you don't have to get stuck and isolated in them because that's where yeah. PTSD and other very difficult issues come from is when we get stuck in those moments and can't figure out how to live outside of them. But yeah, in general, I'm with you. I, I just think it's not the best thing. And it's, it is weird though, that all superheroes and not all, but so many superheroes somehow have to come from suffering to be good or to be motivated. Like, is it not possible that someone just such a great, kind, caring person that they decide to become a superhero? Uh, like Batman, couldn't he have just been like, well, stuff like that shouldn't happen to other. I don't know. I don't know. I just feel like <laughs> we have yeah. to have the we have to have the truck. I mean, in Christianity is the same way, right? Because yeah, oh, absolutely. This, so one, we have this uh, this narrative in Christianity that like all all human humanity is uh, naturally bad is right. like, you know tainted by original sin, and the mm -hmm. is the thing that had to happen to erase this this sin, and right. then. Uh, and then Christians look back at that as if, okay, and Jesus had to die right. for the atonement of sins so that we can flourish and and have uh, you know yeah. a good people, eternal life and stuff. People so, would I mean, that's a terrible narrative too. Yeah, people would literally tell you if, if Jesus didn't die for our sins, what's the point of Christianity? It's like, holy crap, have you not been paying attention about many other things are going on in this that are much more important and impactful to changing our world and making us better people than some made up story about it being uh, anyway. Yeah, we can go. Yeah, I know that those are sticking points for both of us and we can really just keep going, but I want to move on. There's several more questions. I don't even think we have okay. time for all the questions that I have. All right. So uh, one of the other thoughts that I had, so miles isn't allowed to join the, the Spidey team, whatever we're going to call it, because uh, he's seen as, essentially an, an anomaly or something that wasn't supposed to be. And, you know, we, we definitely see people deciding that someone, that who someone is, is something that should, quote, shouldn't be, or, and ultimately marginalizing them because it's some, they shouldn't be that way. That, and that's what they're saying ultimately about Miles. Why do humans have a tendency to do that and what do you think the movie is telling us about that tendency? Well, I think I, I think we often naturally try in a lot of ways to build up a community in a way that makes us feel special or excludes uh, or or we exclude people in a way to make ourselves feel better. And some of that, I think, is inherent within the human condition. And it's mm -hmm. about things like uh, jealousy and uh, uh, about so like our own self-importance and, and and things like that, or ex and we exclude others. For, I think for the same reason, you know, mm -hmm. and yeah. and and sociologists have studied this, and psychologists in terms of like building up a community of of similar folks, and it's something that naturally happens mm -hmm. in in human beings. That's just something that is a part of it. I think the uh, the writers here are telling us and. That's something that we should fight against, and it's right. not good. And I think, uh, you know, certainly, I mean, we're obviously invested in and rooting for Miles Morales here. Exactly, and so, exactly. So when we see him being excluded, it, it sends the message uh, pretty pretty hard to us. But I, I think that's true, too, you know, like as people of faith, that like a lot of churches really, really do that. Uh, and they, they build up like, 
this this group of people who all looks, thinks, and acts the exact same way. Oh, yeah. And uh, a lot of times as those churches decline and they say, oh, we got to have new people. We got to have new people. What they really mean is we got to have new people who are like exactly us. like us. Yeah. Don't bring in any new people who are different. Just yeah. the people who are just like us. And so yeah. I, I think that's that's part of the human condition and the, and the writers are telling us, uh-uh. No, right. <laughs> that's that's not no. what about. What do you think's happening? I absolutely agree with you, and I think the big point right there was I love that they made one of the main protagonists this person that's an outsider. Yeah. I think it's also particularly when you look at what's going on in, in U.S. Pol- politics right now, it's a it's a really big commentary on the way that uh, conservatives are othering folks folks in the LGBTQIA community and uh, saying that you shouldn't be that that's an anomaly and that it's not okay. Yeah. I think that we see that this is a great kind of subtle commentary on that kind of uh, of telling people that you're an anomaly and you shouldn't be. And a main storyline saying, oh, no, exactly who we are is what makes us wonderful. What's what makes us fabulous. And you're going to see how it gets played out. And and we can change things for better uh, because exactly because of who we are. And I think that's a really great way of telling that important story. Yeah, and not right. to mention that Miles Morales is a person of color who's the right. person being Even, excluded, but, yeah. right? Which which is a long history of being told you you know that you're sure you're a person, but you're not as good as other people. Another kind of the saying, you know, and going back and saying no, precisely because of who I am, it means that I can make a difference in a way that you can't, and it could yeah. change the world. So I think it's brilliant. All right, I'm gonna slip in one more quick question here. All right, um, let's do it. I have to, I have to, as a Presbyterian, it is, it is a question about determinism or okay, predestination. <laughs> you, you have uh, to. <laughs> uh, determinism, predestination seems to be a theme in this movie. Uh, the real heroes, though, end up being the ones that are pushing back against it. Is there value in that pushing back against some determinism, some fatalism kind of thing? What kind of value is there in pushing back against that kind of thinking? I think there's a lot of value in that. And I, I, I and I was really glad to see this. So I thought both about your Presbyterianism as I was right. watching this. Yeah. <laughs> but I thought I'm not gonna ask him about that because I'm because <laughs> I love to give You do, you like to go <laughs> to that question. That. You, you know, I do. So no, um, wrong with that. I, I think I think it's valuable because a lot of times we get the trope in uh, in movies and I think in superhero movies in particular that something is fated that it's destined to be that you have a destiny that you have to live into and that's super problematic because yeah. we have too much of that kind of language going on in our society anyway what we what we need to be talking about is our own power and helping to determine our future together and so mm-hmm. I love seeing that as a theme in this movie as uh you know miles morales said you know what um maybe i'm gonna write my own story Uh, i'm i i i I don't need this like you said earlier if i'm not supposed to be here anyway i'm good i can write my own story and so i think that was also a message to people who are being told in the united states today that they have a certain place that yeah. they fit into, that they have a certain place that they they have to be, that that you're defined by certain el- aspects of like who you are, being mm-hmm. race or sexual orientation, gender identity, whatever that is, that, yep. that you're being put into a category and it's saying, no, you're in control. 
to at least to some extent of, of your own destiny and of, of the kind of society that we're creating together. So I loved that about this movie. I, and I thought it was playing against, uh, uh, against the way that uh, I, I'm completely with you completely agree. I also like that it kind of pushed the idea of determinism uh, predestination causes you to to uh, make decisions based on the future or the potential future yeah. or fate even yeah. and the and the heroes of this story seem to be living in the moment and allowing mm -hmm. their mm -hmm. reaction to the moment create a new future and I think it's a much healthier way of, of living all right so we know that not only could we geek out about this and go on and on we can also go all theological and philosophical and political on it over yeah. and over again but uh, we have run out of time for this segment. So we do, however, get to take a quick break and come back to our favorite segment, the Make Me Look Stupid segment. Welcome back to the Moonshine Jesus Show. We are in our final segment, the Make Me Look Stupid segment, where we <laughs> ask each other questions and try to make our co-hosts look stupid. But here's the thing. I was only able to steal one of Mark's questions today. So he's he, so he's got <laughs> another one locked and loaded. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think I'm going to steal it with this, Mark, but uh, I, I do have a question for you. All right. Yep. Okay, so one dynamic we see explored is the dynamic of parents with children. And mm -hmm. so there are, I'm thinking specifically about uh, Miles's relationship with his parents and Gwen's relationship with her dad. And yeah. we get we get some uh, decent quotes about this. Uh, Miles's dad says, you know, no matter what I do, somebody always thinks I'm blowing it, uh, right. especially in a relationship with, with Miles. And then Gwen's dad says, parenting stuff is a big ass mystery. <laughs> and so uh, obviously we see that oftentimes a spider person loses somebody who's close to them in a canon event, although it's yeah. frequently a, an uncle or something in Spider-Man universe mm -hmm. so mark do you think this is uh do you think this is just making uh, a commentary on canon do you think it's making any particular uh statements on relationships between parents and children what do you think's going on with this emphasis in this dynamic well i i, I think you know it's a it's a commentary on life uh we we for good or bad define ourselves by relationships, particularly with relationships with either children or parents, even with even if it's like uh, adopted parents or parents or parent parental figures or kids that we bring into our lives. And it is a mystery. I, th I think there's a subtle um, point being made here. And we have to look at the parents saying this is hard and I'll be judged for not doing it right. And, and it's a mystery and I don't know what to do. But then we go back to, and I think the character's name is Peter B. Parker. It's the Peter Parker that shows up in the first movie, yeah. uh, coming from the multi-universe, and starts to kind of mentor Miles. And he ultimately says, 
to Miles in this one. I'm a parent because of you. Mm-hmm. And for me, that meant I recognize that the ability to be a part of a life and care about someone and love them is all that really matters in being a parent. I don't have to get it right. Uh, and he was reminded that he may have screwed up with trying to mentor Peter, but that didn't seem to matter. What seemed to matter was that relationship and being able to have it and share it and that there was love in it. And that it was that connection that made him realize I could be a parent. So I think it was a commentary, a larger commentary on what really matters. You don't have to get it right. You are going to screw it up. People are going to judge you. But what matters in it is that you have this relationship, this mentorship of sorts that is founded on love. And if it's founded there, everything's going to be okay, one way or the other. Yeah, that's a a great answer. And, you know, I think that a lot of times in in superhero movies, we see uh, different, we see different dynamics and the, the superheroes who tend to be healthier seem to be people who have some kind of a, a loving, supportive relationship somewhere in their lives. And mm-hmm. so I think it's interesting that we see the various forms of Spider-Man having different interactions with their, their parents. And, yeah. you know, Gwen obviously has a, a difficult relationship with her dad that ends up driving her away from her home universe for several mm-hmm. months. And even though they're eventually able to reconcile, I mean, it, it drives her uh, more so into yeah. this, the spider dumb. Whereas Miguel you know, even though he's struggling in his dynamics with his parents, it's clear that his parents are all about what is healthiest for Miles. Yeah. And I, I think that shifts the way that he's looking at his role as Spider-Man and his obligation mm. to, to duty and his connection to something outside of being a superhero. Oh, absolutely. I, 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 I'm completely on board with that, man. I, I agree. So now it's my turn, right? You got a question for me. Yeah, I do. So did you notice that there was one character who showed up in every universe and was voiced by the same person? Sometimes it was in the background. Sometimes it was. Did you I, did you know? I missed it. I missed it. No, tell me. Almost, and I, it might be that yeah. they didn't quite put it in every yeah. universe, but I'm pretty sure they made sure it was okay. in every universe. J. Jonah Jameson was saying something about Spider-Man on the radio or on a television show in almost every universe. I and, missed. How did I miss and this? Every time, it was voiced <laughs> by J.K. Simmons. I would, I would, I would pause it. Because, have... because he is always. <laughs> well, that's my point. It's my question yeah. to you. I would posit yeah. that we don't have any other character. We have some characters that are in a few universes played yeah. by the same character, but mostly all characters in all universes are played by different people. JK is the only one that shows up, as far as I can tell, in every universe played by the same person. Yeah. My question to you, is JK, J. Jonah Jameson a Nexus being? Ooh. Uh, <laughs> I, hmm. uh, you know, I think I think large. Uh, yes, I'm going to say yes. I, I think he is. And I think I think it's also I, I think uh, 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 so I'm I'm bummed that I missed that because <laughs> that would have been a, an epic geek moment because, right. uh, you know, it's so fun that he is that he played that same character in all the unbelievable you know, all the live action films. So it's uh 
yeah. So that's that's a fun nod to that at the very <laughs> least. But I'll say yes, yeah, sure, sure. I, I think he is. What do you? What I do think you he think? has to be. I mean, if if, yeah. if uh if they're going to play him that way, someone somewhere has thought about the fact that that ultimately makes him a nexus being, a person that can and exist in all it more. in all realms. I I think they should. I don't know if they will. There's at least some writer somewhere who sat down and figured out, oh, we can justify J. Jonah Jameson being played by J.K. Simmons in every universe because he's so perfect for the role. Uh, we can justify it by somehow ultimately saying, yeah, he's a Nexus being. You know, he, he, he exists in all realities. It's just what happens. You got to have a few of those. Uh, I I just thought it was fantastic and such a fun little element of what they even the Lego J. Jonah Jameson was. Uh, I think they were actually playing the uh, J.K. Rowling's from one of the original Spider-Man's voice. He was using a quote, something that he had already recorded, but he was, it was even in the Lego one. It was just, I thought it was brilliant. I loved it so much. That, uh, that is so fun. And, uh, and how, how cool to play to nerdum. Nerd. Absolutely. By, yeah. By doing yeah I, love it. I, I love that. Yeah. Man, this has been awesome, Mark. Yeah. I loved watching this and, mm. you know, I feel like we really have paid our dues this year because it's been <laughs> a little bit of a dry oh, year in terms is. of coming up with good sci-fi fantasy superhero stuff. We've talked about one. some shows that have been a little obscure. <laughs> Some have been better than others. Right. And I feel like we we worked for this, and we we did. It, it was a long slog, but we did what we had to do. That's right. That's yeah. right. And now we are into this wonderful time where Thank there goodness. is a lot of great stuff coming yes. up. So we need to let you all know that we we won't be having a Moonshine Jesus show next week. No, or the week or, after. Yeah, because, because we've happen. both got some stuff going on, but right. in what three weeks from three today? Weeks. Yes. We'll be back and Mark. Oh, I, can't I am wait. so excited about what we're going to talk about. You want to tell hey, everybody what we're, we, what we're talking about oh, finally? Abso absolutely. We finally, and oh man, it's been such a long time coming. We finally get to talk about the Flash movie, and 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 it just looks like it's going to be absolutely amazing. You know, Flash screwing things up by timeline stuff and needing to go back and he meets with different kinds of Batmans and uh, and, and even rescues a Kryptonite, uh, I mean, a, a, a Kryptonian, uh, maybe not the Kryptonian that everyone expects. I, I, I cannot wait for this. So that'll be our show when we come back, right? Yes, and I, I've I've been waiting thirty years for this, Mark, to see <laughs> Michael Keaton as Batman. Batman again. again. Yeah. I cannot wait. Uh, I I am so excited. The last time Michael Keaton played Batman, I was seven years old, Mark. And, <laughs> and so, so you you, you haven't been waiting for Batfleck to come back. He's in it too. <laughs> you know, you kind of dismissed know, it of Batfleck, man. You know, I actually uh, not to get into this. But I actually kind of like Ben Affleck as okay. Batman. I just think the I just think the writing was horrible. I think the the I, movies I, he was in were terrible. Uh, the writing was horrible. Uh, but I think I, like, I thought he was a, like as an actor, an he aging was a, millionaire playing an aging billionaire. I think, <laughs> I, I think there's something to that. I love him as I loved him as Bruce Wayne, which is what you just point to. Yeah. I just I never could buy him as Batman. I loved him as Bruce yeah, Wayne. He's one of the best Bruce yeah. Waynes. But anyway. But we also know what we we know that we've been telling people that we'll be at Wild Goose. Uh, hopefully, yes. not hopefully, by the next show, we'll know uh, what time and what stage we'll be on. We can let you know. And we even know what show we'll be talking about, right? 
Oh yeah, another one that we've been that we've been waiting for for, for a very long time. Uh, the new Indiana Jones movie, mm. Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. Yes. And so I think we can legitimately be, say that we've been waiting like 35 years for this one <laughs> because i don't think crystal skull really no, it counts doesn't count for anything really <laughs> yeah no. so we can just pretend like that one didn't even happen Absolutely. and we can say yeah. that for the like 35 years wait 34 years we, we've been yeah. waiting for a new indiana jones movie and he's coming out harrison ford is 80 years old but he is 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 playing indiana jones again and you know uh mark i heard someone say you know, yeah. an 80-year-old white man playing a tenured professor who refuses to leave his post is perhaps the most realistic element of the <laughs> Indiana Jones movie. Well, isn't that true? Isn't that true? <laughs> so that so, so are true. you ready to see 80-year-old Indiana Jones coming right. back? One last right. adventure. I can't wait for it. I can't either. And listen, it, 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 we would love for you to be there. All of you, please come and see the show. We're going to have great giveaways, fantastic giveaways. It'll be beverages is going to be t-shirts it's going to be moonshine jugs with our logo on them like you really need to come and be a part of that event and just to make it a little easier to do that we actually have a discount code with wild goose if you punch in moonshine at your discount you'll get fifty dollars off the off the overall ticket price and uh we just absolutely love to see everybody there it's so much more fun when we know that uh, all of all of our listeners who make it possible for us to do the show actually show up and we get to see you in real life like Caleb and I will finally get to for only the third time do the show right together rather than from other sides of the country right that's going to be fantastic and uh, drinking the same drink we'll all drink the same drink together Absolutely. And we're hoping to have a musician there as well so I it's going to be a lot of fun Absolutely. hope you can make it okay we'll see you in three weeks from today when we talk about the flash yeah. See you next time on the Moonshine Jesus Show. Moonshine Jesus, no sky. Moonshine Jesus.